There are often points in our lives where our wardrobes don't suit us anymore, whether because of a lifestyle or life stage change, size change, or just an evolution of our personal style. But for sustainable style enthusiasts aware of fashion's waste crisis, this can present a dilemma. In this episode, I'm chatting with Sophie Strauss about doing a responsible closet audit. Before we get to that, though, Sophie and I also talk all things personal style. Because personal style is interconnected with a slow fashion journey, but it can be confusing to know how we should even go about finding our personal style. What even is personal style in the first place? Do you need a go-to uniform? Can we still participate in trends if we're dressing for our personal style? And what happens when we want to experiment with our style? We're talking about all of this and more in this week's episode. You can also find this episode on YouTube. Our channel is Conscious Life and Style. So the full video version with Sophie is up on YouTube in case you prefer to watch it there or want to watch it there in addition. I'll make sure the link to our YouTube channel is in the episode description in case you'd like to check it out, because as I mentioned in the season five preview episode, we are planning to put every episode of the Conscious Style podcast this season up on YouTube, so you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to be notified when those videos go live. They will be going live on the Tuesdays, the same day that the audio episodes go up. And if you want even more slow fashion and sustainability resources and education, you can subscribe to our Conscious Edit newsletter at ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com forward slash edit. This is my favorite place to connect with you all. So I hope to see you there and be in your inbox. Okay, now let's get on to this week's interview. Sustainability has become little more than a buzzword in fashion. What would it really take to build a more sustainable, responsible, and equitable fashion system? That's what we're dedicated to exploring on the Conscious Style podcast. Each Tuesday, you can join me, Elizabeth Joy, and me, Stella Hertantio, along with our lineup of change-making guests to navigate the sea of greenwashing and to build a better future for fashion. Hey everyone, and welcome or welcome back to the Conscious Style Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Sophie Strauss, who is an inclusive, sustainably minded stylist for regular people. We'll be chatting about personal style, fashion rules, trends, and how to do a responsible closet clean out. Sophie, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to start by asking you a question that I'm going to ask every guest in this series of the podcast which is what does conscious style mean to you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've been such a fan and it's so cool to be here. I love this question and maybe this is a little bit dorky, but it actually reminds me of my bat mitzvah because I got for my Torah portion, I got the kosher laws and I really struggled with that because I was sort of like, God, this is so boring. It's just this like list of rules and everybody got all these great stories. How do I make something interesting about keeping kosher, especially as somebody who doesn't keep kosher? And I remember like talking to my dad actually in particular about it. And essentially what we came to 
is really sort of like a great blueprint for, I think, consciousness and, you know, sort of conscious style in general, which is really, even if you don't follow those specific rules, it's really nice in life to have a sort of guiding set of values that makes you stop and think before you consume something. So maybe it's food, maybe it's for religious purposes, maybe it's for sustainability purposes, maybe it's clothing or fashion or jewelry or furniture. But to me, consciousness and conscious style is just that extra second of stopping to think in service of something, whether it's in service of your community or the environment or your own happiness but it's just taking that little extra bit before you buy, before you sell, before you consume something to think about what you're doing and why and the impact it might have. I love that. I love that definition and interpretation of conscious. It's something that's also very accessible to people. I think we could all be a little bit just more thoughtful about those kind of choices. So something that really intrigued me about your bio is you say that you're a stylist for regular people. So can you explain that a little bit more and what led you into this career direction? Totally. I call myself a stylist for regular people because I think I know for myself, we really like mostly think of stylists as celebrity stylists. I think that's honestly what I thought of as a stylist for a really long time. And believe me, any celebrities who want to be styled by me, I will take you on. I'm so excited (laughs) to do it because the truth is everybody on some level is a regular person. But I wanted it to be really clear that I am mostly working with people who are quote unquote regular. And I think what's sort of fun about the word regular is that everybody is a regular person and nobody is a regular person. Like, what is it even? It doesn't really mean anything except that you probably are one. And I think that that casts a really wide net and it suggests a sort of inclusiveness, right? That you don't have to have any fancy events. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be an influencer. You don't have to be in the public eye to enlist my services. And I think I came about that as a career really organically. I was a musician for a really long time. I, I guess I, I'm still a musician in, some, in many ways, but not professionally. But I think in like a lot of ways, I was always like a regular person stylist. <laughs> you know, since I was really, really, really little, um, my friends would come over and I feel terrible in hindsight. But like, you know, since I was like five, six, seven, and they'd like want to like, can we watch SpongeBob and, you know, like, I don't know, go <laughs> run around in the backyard. And I'd be like, or... I could dress you up in mine and my mom's clothes and like do your hair and makeup (laughs) and really like style you. And my friends would be like, oh my God, Sophie, we can't do this every time we hang out. But that morphed into just like being somebody who always really appreciated fashion and self-expression, mostly as like a way to feel like myself and whatever version of myself I wanted to feel like that day. And in the last couple of years, I sort of had noticed that I became the person who when my friends had a new job or maybe their body had changed or maybe their like gender presentation had changed and they were realizing or coming out as trans and wanted to experiment with how they dressed or wore makeup or maybe somebody you know had an a big event a birthday a, a this that or the other thing a wedding that i was always the person that they would reach out to to say hey do you have something i can borrow can you help me figure out what to wear can you take me shopping can you find a couple things online and it was like 
this realization that that's actually something that for I think the majority of people can be quite stressful and overwhelming for a whole bunch of reasons that I think are really, really valid. And I happen to be somebody who actually finds like 99% of that process, not just not stressful, but like actively fun and interesting and rewarding, right? I love the hunt. I love going through a crowded department store or a super crazy thrift shop, right? I love the infinite scroll online of some place and trying to mm-hmm. find the gem in it. And so I sort of like floated it out there on Instagram, just being like, is this something people would pay for? And so many people were like, um, yes, absolutely. And so I just started doing it. And it took off in this way that I just like never could have imagined and has expanded into so many different facets of like people's lives and you know what the, the places where how we dress come up, which is pretty much everywhere. And I think people don't always realize that. Mm-hmm. And then as I did that, I also became really aware, not that I wasn't before, but right, what does it mean to have a job in an industry that for the most part is really, really pretty horrible for the planet and really unsustainable and sort of rooted in like overconsumption? And how do I like reconcile with a lot of imperfection, right? Mm -hmm. This job that's sort of loves clothes and fashion and new things and exciting things and that feeling of a great new outfit with wanting to also be conscious and thoughtful about the impact on people, on the environment, on the whatever, on the well-being of, of everything, right? So that's sort of where I started to get into dabbling in understanding what it might mean to be a sustainable stylist. I don't really claim that as like, an identity as much as like an action that I try to take as often as possible with Mm -hmm. tremendous imperfection. But yeah, so that's my long-winded answer for both of those questions. (laughs) Yeah, that was fantastic. And I can definitely resonate almost with this discomfort with labeling yourself as sustainable. It can sort of feel like you're claiming to be perfect and perhaps sustainably minded or conscious feels more aligned. And I definitely can resonate with that. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you more about personal style. And something else I really liked that you have on your website is that other stylists teach you how to dress like them. I'll teach you how to dress like you. So can you delve into that a little bit more and share what personal style means to you? Absolutely. And I also want to say, I sort of came up with that catchy slogan and then was like, I really don't want to be like on other stylists who are, there are so many just like amazing people out there doing really cool, thoughtful work. I do think that one of my strengths is I can appreciate every kind of aesthetic and like vibe and core and whatever. (laughs) And sometimes in my own closet and style, I could dress like cottage core one day and like work where the other, you know, like it's just, it changes constantly. And I don't think anybody has to subscribe fully to like one aesthetic, but I do think that there's often in, in the fashion world in general, right? Not just like stylists, but this idea of the person has to fit the clothes, right? The clothes dictate what's cool, what's in, and you got to keep up. And your job as a human is to get yourself in those clothes, no matter how it makes you feel, no matter if you like it, right? we're sort of essentially told the clothes come first. And then you as a person, if you're doing it right, need to get on that train. And I've just never 
related to that. And then the more I've sort of thought about it and understood various sort of systems of the world, I understand how that's really like a recipe for overconsumption and dissatisfaction with your clothes and disposability. And it's like a tactic of the fast fashion industry. And to me, what's exciting about personal style and what keeps this job from feeling boring or repetitive or monotonous really is personal style, right? The clothes fit the person. Who are you? How do you want to feel? Like, what do you do? Right? How do you want to move through the world? How do you want to be received and perceived by people? How do you want to feel when you look in the mirror? Right? And starting there and then going, okay, well, then let's find the clothes that fit that and not the other way around. So that to me is sort of right. And, and there's a good version of any kind of style. And truly the only thing that matters is how the person feels, right? It, I don't have any agenda to make somebody look a specific way according to what I think is cool or right. If you feel good, I don't care about anything else. And that's sort of how I define personal style. I think to put it more simply for people in a way that like, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you go, God, what's my personal style? Talk about this a lot. It's just identifying your preferences, right? What do you like? What do you not like? It's like, it sounds really simple. It takes a little bit of practice, right? You have to sometimes like set aside some time for yourself to maybe like play a little bit of dress up and try stuff on. But I think a lot of times we like buy a shirt and we don't like it and we don't know why. So we get rid of it and we buy another shirt and we don't like it. Maybe for the same reasons we didn't like the old shirt because we didn't identify what we liked and didn't like about it. Right. It's like this, this really sort of terrible cycle. I have this analogy that I use for this cycle of like preferences. And and I think in the fashion industry or sort of in terms of personal style, not knowing our preferences with like food. So I sort of describe the way that I think most people shop as if you were to go to a restaurant, having eaten a million times in your life out at a restaurant and having no idea if you have any food allergies, if you're a vegetarian or somebody who loves meat, if you're somebody who likes the taste of tomatoes or thinks they're disgusting, if you're somebody who, right, having no, even though you eat every single day, that it's as if you <laughs> went and ordered food and whether you liked it or not, you didn't stop to go, oh, well, I didn't like that because it had turmeric in it. And I don't really like the taste of turmeric, right? It's like, if you went to a restaurant and every single time you looked at the menu and you were like, there's no way for me to tell on this menu what I'm going to like and not like. And you, it turns out, maybe you're allergic to tomatoes or you don't like tomatoes, but you order pasta with marinara sauce and then you get it and you kind of have one of two options, which is like you have to stomach your way through eating something that makes you feel bad because you don't like it. That doesn't feel good. Or you have to send it back and waste food. Mm-hmm. And I think people, like when you hear that with regards to food, makes you go, Oh God, yeah, that's horrible. And then you go, okay, but now imagine instead of that, it's a shirt or a dress or a pair of pants. Now it's like you go into a store and it's like, you just got rid of a pair of pants because you didn't like them. You're not really sure why, but you didn't like them. Then you go to the store and you buy another pair of pants and it turns out you don't know why you didn't like them. So they have the same cut of the pants you didn't like last time. And that's actually right. It wasn't the color you didn't like. It was the cut. And so a lot of what I do is just kind of working with people to identify those preferences so that you start to get like the scaffolding to then have like self-expression and personal style. 
Yeah, I love that comparison because it's like, it just makes so much sense. Would you go into a restaurant and be like, well, this food is trendy, so I'm going to buy it. I mean, maybe some people do. I hope we don't get to a place like that, (laughs) but it doesn't make any sense, right? That's what you're eating or what you're putting on your body, what you have to like wear next to your skin. Yeah. You know, I feel like in high school, I definitely fell for a lot of those sort of Trends just because they were trends, not because I liked them. You know, those really low rise jeans that like you couldn't bend down in. And looking back, (laughs) right? And I kept buying them, but I hated them and I felt uncomfortable like sitting. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So I think that's a very helpful comparison. Yeah. And I actually think the food trend is also sort of like a good analogy for talking about fashion trends, which is like, And food trends are very different, obviously. They don't come and go in the same way. But like, I'm sure, right, we all remember like a couple years ago, everything had like maple bacon in it, you know, right? Like maybe that's not something that everybody like (laughs) remembers or whatever. But like there was a moment or like salted caramel, right? Like suddenly everything had those things. And that's the sort of thing where it's like, if you like maple and you like bacon, then hell yeah, order something, try that new thing that the donut that has maple bacon on it, you probably (laughs) like it, right? Like, that's a trend that's probably for you. If you're like, I keep kosher, or I hate the taste of maple syrup, it's way too sweet, then you don't have to try the maple bacon just because it's trendy. And I think that's really similar to clothing trends, right? Trends aren't inherently bad because they're fleeting or they're trendy. There are certain, right, like, Right now, a big trend is like the chunky Oxford or chunky loafer, right? Like with a big lug sole. Mm-hmm. I actually have a pair of chunky loafers from 2014 that I got at Zara of all places. And I still have them and I still wear them all the time. And they were trendy then and they're trendy now. I've worn them every year in between because I like loafers. They're like a croc print. I like the croc print. They're chunky. I love a chunky shoe, right? I know that about myself. And so even though it's a trendy thing, for me, I can recognize it as a forever piece because I know my preferences. Yeah. And I love that because that was a question that I had for you, which is once we sort of get more clear in our personal style, like how do we engage with trends? Should we be afraid of trends? You know, in the slow fashion movement, it's all about like personal style over trends, but it's it feels like more of a nuance or a balance because there might be some trends that genuinely fit in with your personal style. And I feel like, yeah, telltale sign is like, would you keep wearing it once that trend is gone? Yeah. And I think there's, the question is really why, right? Why are you reaching for that trendy piece, right? Why are you drawn to to buying it? Is it because like Kendall Jenner wore it and you want <laughs> to be cool? And you're feeling uncomfortable and uncool? Or is it because you're like, God, I love the shape of that. And I'm so drawn to the texture. And I love the way it feels when I wear it, right? It's the why. It's not the what. And right, the piece itself. And even I think, honestly, if it's fast fashion that you're going to take good care of and wear forever, then that's not the worst thing to do with fast fashion, especially as like an individual who's not really responsible for these systems. Versus like, are you buying that so you can wear it in one Instagram photo and then never wear it again and quote unquote donate it to Goodwill where it probably will sit and then get put in a landfill or whatever. So it's like, why is important as opposed to what the thing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. 
And another thing that you touched on a little bit before which was that in your closet, you have clothes that sort of fit several identities and that you don't limit to one aesthetic. So what is your advice for how we can balance dressing to a personal style and finding maybe uniforms that feel good and we're like, yeah, for sure, that's going to make me feel good. And I know I love that silhouette with creative experimentation and trying new things. Yeah. I would be the first to admit I have a uniform. It's not the uniform that I think we're like told is the go-to uniform in fashion magazines or on Instagram, right? My uniform is not a neutral, chic, little black dress and, you know, jeans and a white t-shirt, though sometimes it might be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we're sort of told this idea of the uniform or the capsule closet as this like neutral Right. These words like timeless and classic are super rooted in Western whiteness, often masculinity, patriarchy, right? What's not overly sexy. A lot of times it's actually menswear inspired pieces. And I use the term menswear and women's wear loosely, right? That's the categories that exist. It doesn't mean we have to participate in those binaries, but it's useful, right? They're, they tend to be very like European notions of, of sort of upper class classiness and um, being subdued, right? They may not be a capsule closet that makes sense for somebody whose cultural heritage is really important to them, or for somebody who's really drawn to color or pattern or texture, or to somebody whose gender expression is different than, you know, whatever society has sort of like assigned to them. And it just may not be your personal preference. And I'm so interested in like, what does a closet, a versatile closet or a uniform look like for somebody who doesn't identify as that sort of one note version of classic style. So like for me, I'm wearing my uniform right now and most people won't be able to see it. I have kind of like baggy striped pants on, but like I would say my uniform and I'm, I've actually been wanting to do a video about this and maybe I'll have done it by the time this comes out. But <laughs> my uniform is like generally like a really oversized, bright vintage t-shirt, a belt like kind of baggy vintage pants or jeans or trousers and like boots or Birkenstocks or Converse. So it's still totally uniform where I'm like, oh, I have to run to this thing. What do I know I'm going to feel good in? But that I'm also going to feel like myself. And I think that's something that's really nice for people to find as well. There's nothing wrong with having that uniform as long as it's a uniform that makes you feel good. But the flip side of that, right, is like there are times where I really want to have fun with what I'm wearing. I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone. And my biggest advice for people to sort of figure out those outfits and to figure out your personal style in general is to play dress up. Give yourself an hour or two every couple months, maybe, right? Where you don't have anywhere to go. You're not rushing out the door to get to dinner or to a concert or to, you know, go out with friends. You're just kind of hanging at home. And you try in a bunch of outfits and you try on a shirt and oh, what if I wear it tucked in or if I roll up the sleeves or what if I add a belt or what if I wear it with a necklace and these shoes or those shoes or these pants or this skirt or this dress over it. Is that weird? And I tie it up and I layer a vest on top of that. Is that crazy or is that awesome? How do I feel? And pay attention to what you're liking and not liking. And for some people, that's like literally take some selfies of those outfits so you remember them so that when you do have that dinner you're rushing to after work and you have 20 minutes to get dressed, you open your phone and you go, oh yeah, I love the way I felt in this. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you're somebody who enjoys a little bit of like the experimentation. But I think 
that's a good way to like unlock your creativity in a safe place that doesn't have the stress and pressure of trying to go out in like 20 minutes. Because I think what people tend to do in those 20 minutes is either they reach for the uniform, which is comfortable, but maybe feels like a missed opportunity to wear something that makes you feel special. Or they reach for something unusual and outside of their sort of uniform, but something that they haven't really played with yet. And they end up sort of tugging at the outfit all night, feeling a little bit uncomfortable and unsure of it because they didn't give themselves the space to identify how to make that exciting outfit line up with their preferences. And so playing dress up is my advice for that. Yeah, that's great. And I can definitely relate to that. Doing, I do like daily conscious outfit of the day Instagram stories or try to do it daily. And even if I don't stay in that outfit all day, it's a push to like try something new, restyling the clothes that I have and just figuring out, you know, sometimes I just repeat an exact outfit, but other times try to like experiment. And then it's like, yeah, when the time comes for a special event, I'm like, well, I already figured out that outfit. Like, you know, I have these three outfits that I loved, but I also had some that I didn't really like that much, but it was, you know, it was not a problem because I was just posing in front of my mirror. Exactly. (laughs) So it's really useful. Wearwell is your destination for finding vetted, sustainable, and slow fashion brands that suit your personal style. Whether your style leans minimalist or maximalist, preppy or rocker chic, classic or bold, or you just love your basics and athleisure, you'll want to check out online conscious marketplace Wearwell at shopwearwell.com. You can use the code CONSCIOUS20 for 20% off your first order. Wearwell curates clothing, accessories, and jewelry from trusted fair fashion brands in a range of aesthetics. And yes, they also have a resale program called Wearwell Again, where you can shop secondhand pieces that were sustainably made in the first place. Wearwell goes through a multi-step process with all of their brand partners to ensure they're working with brands that are truly conscious. A brand's conscious qualities could include zero waste or small batch production, major order, employee-owned, circular model, and or BIPOC-owned, among many more. To browse Wearwell's curation, head to shopwearwell.com. That's shop, W-E-A-R-W-E-L-L.com. And be sure to use the code CONSCIOUS20 for 20% off your first order at Wearwell. The link and code will also be in the episode description. We touched a little bit on this with like so-called classics or uniforms, but I thought it would be interesting to talk more about these rules when it comes to style or fashion. And we've all heard them like, don't wear white after Labor Day, (laughs) don't wear mini skirts after a certain age, all those sort of things. What are some of these styling rules that you think are problematic or, or maybe just like unhelpful and limiting? I honestly think all style rules are problematic and unhelpful. (laughs) I think that as humans, we really actually want rules because it's comforting, right? We want structure. And I think for a lot of people where getting dressed is so like triggering or stressful that the idea of just having somebody say, this is good and this is bad can be nice, right? It feels simple and clean. And for some people that really does help them. And I like, can't really deny that. 
But I think that for most people, we actually end up moving past that and wanting some nuance and Mm -hmm. wanting room for our like individualism to come through. And so I think the only rule is, do you feel good? And if you Mm -hmm. don't, then you shouldn't wear it. And it's that to me is really the only rule. I think there are a lot of like bad rules. There's like silly ones that I don't think are necessarily harmful, but are like, come on, you know, like wearing (laughs) brown and black together or wearing navy and black together or wearing, you know, like pink and red, right? There's a lot of color rules, white after Labor Day, right? Like there there are these ones that I think we can all kind of recognize are silly and like you can totally break those rules. Yeah. But there are actually a lot of rules that are like super rooted in either like misogyny or racism or fat phobia, transphobia, right? All of these things that whether or not we realize it, right? There are sort of, for example, rules about professionalism that are like a lot of the time, like really racist. And we know this with like hairstyles, right? Wearing your hair in like dreadlocks or braids or in natural curls can be seen as like unprofessional when really that's not a rule or a dress code of professionalism. That's like an anti-black rule, right? Mm -hmm. We see a lot of fashion rules that are super anti-fat, right? And it's usually coded in terms of being like, what's flattering, right? You always have to accentuate your waist. You can't wear horizontal stripes. You have to wear, right? Everything, I don't even think we always realize it, but even the question of whether or not something looks good on you is almost always a coded way of asking if it makes you look thin. And Mm -hmm. so I hate that. And it's also something I have to check for myself all the time, right? What am I telling people? And also knowing that everybody like is on their own journey of how they feel about their relationship with their body. And that sometimes people really are struggling and it's okay if somebody wants, if somebody is like, yeah, but I really want to accentuate my waist and have that sort of hourglass figure. I'm not going to tell them, no, no, that's like not socially, you know, woke. It's like, then fine. right? (laughs) I want to go with that. But at the same time, I think like I have a lot of clients come to me and originally ask, like this comes up all the time, wanting my help for them to dress for their body type. And I have to kind of say, like, I so hear you on that. That is not a real thing. And mm-hmm. I know that's kind of scary, but there are no rules about your body type that dictate what you need to wear. So I like to talk about proportions. There's the proportions of your body and there's the proportions of the clothes. And I like people to understand proportions in a zero, like not moralized or value sort of like, I guess, value weighted sense. So you don't have to make yourself look bigger or smaller in any place that you don't want to. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. I just want you to know objectively, right? If you're like me, you have a large bust and you wear a shirt that has a puffy collar and puffy sleeves, you have a top-heavy bottom body proportion, and then you also have a top-heavy clothes proportion. And so you're going to have a outfit proportion that is really concentrated on the top half of your body. And sometimes you might be like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I want. And it looks so cool and artful and architectural and interesting. And sometimes you might be like, no way. That's not what I want. It makes me feel a little bit imbalanced and self-conscious and I don't always feel comfortable with my chest. So I want to draw attention somewhere else. Both of those are valid. 
And I just think it's like understanding those proportions so that you get to decide. And there's no right or wrong answer. You just should have the tools to do what you want. And that's really like, to me, the only quote unquote rule that I subscribe to. Yeah. It's such an interesting way to put it. Like just bringing awareness around what a proportion looks like and maybe does visually. And sometimes you might want that. Sometimes you might not. And your point about the professionalism brought up an article that I recently read in the New York Times about sort of like how Gen Z is challenging these work dress codes. And it was following this one woman who was wearing crop tops to work. And I thought it was a really interesting piece. And I dared to venture into the comment section. People were like, even women were saying, we worked so hard to get, you know, equal treatment in the office. And these young girls are just totally ruining it by dressing club clothes to work. And it was just, I was like, I can't scroll through all these comments. Like it's making me kind of angry, but it was interesting to see sort of people's different viewpoints on that and sort of reflect on that and what that says about our culture, that how we, how we dress influences whether we'll be taken seriously or not for better or for worse. So it totally impacts how you'll move through the world. And I think some people get, I also generally speaking, think that the sort of closer you are to privilege in any direction, the less you have to think about that, Mm -hmm. the less your life has been charged with a sort of visceral awareness of that reality. And that is both its own privilege and a prison. (laughs) You know, I have a lot of cis white male clients who also feel really limited in what is available to them, right? If you don't want to wear like khaki, navy, black, or olive green, you have to like look on the outskirts of the internet to find clothes that feel okay. And then if you wear them to the office, every like you actually stand out more perhaps than like a woman might stand out in a similar outfit, right? So All of this Mm -hmm. stuff is sort of a a prison. And, you know, I think about what you're talking about in the comment section, right? And it's sort of like, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the future we want? And this applies to anything, right? It's not just to style or fashion, it applies to anything. But are we like, desperately fighting for our half of a poison pie? Or are we baking a new pie that's not poisonous in the first place to, you know, (laughs) continue my food analogies? But it's like, I don't really want to have my half of the world that, you know, patriarchy created. I want a new world that doesn't have any of those sort of violent, oppressive structures in them. And so I'm not interested in like clawing my way to sit next to and have 50% of something that's really violent and toxic. I want my share, our share of something much better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this brings up something else that I've been thinking about, which is that this assumption that if you dress in a way that shows skin or shows off your body, it's presumed to be dressing for the male gaze. Or we see like the man repeller, you know, who was really big years ago, dressing really in loose clothes, mismatched prints, maybe. And that was supposedly like repelling men. And It's just interesting to me, like, can we not dress in a way that we feel good in our 
body that maybe does show some skin? Why did that just for us or just for people just in general and not, why does that have to be for the male gaze? Why is that assumed? It's very interesting. Totally. And, you know, I think we're also all living in this, in these systems, right? Like, and we can totally remove ourselves and we can live in constant rejection of it. We can do our best and sort of know that we probably fall somewhere in between all the time where we're dressing a little bit in a way that feels really liberated and a little bit in a way that feels like we're hyper aware of our place in society. And I think that I try to have as much compassion and generosity for people who like have the right to choose their place on that spectrum and what feels comfortable, right? Like I think about trans clients where it's as a cis person, I might want to be like, you should wear exactly what you want all the time in the most expressive and out there way if that's what you want. But -hmm. sometimes for a trans person, what they want is to feel safe on the bus, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that might not mean being fully themselves in a way that I, as an outsider, perceive as them being true to themselves. And that's just not for me to decide. And I think there are so many places where it's easy to dismiss these social norms because they're really harmful, but they're also the real, they're the real world that people live in. And I think I try to create a space where both of those things can be true and where somebody has a closet and control and a sense of security that allows them to make the choice for how they want to move through the world every day, knowing what the world is like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely imagine that's a constant balance with your styling services. So inevitably in our life, there are points when our wardrobes don't feel like us, don't suit us in a current stage or life change, body change, and so on. But for slow fashion enthusiasts, this comes with a bit of a dilemma because we want to be responsible about our unwanted clothes. And you help your clients with closet cleanups. How do you go about this in a mindful way? Yeah. I think that we really perceive the closet clean out as like the Marie Kondo approach. And like she is her own awesome thing. And I honestly never watched the show because I just, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But I'm like very familiar with her from like social media and whatever. She seems lovely. But I think there's a real intensity to the decision making of that kind of a clean out, right? That like, it is a binary. And right, it's either and I do actually think that some of the rules of that, right, does it spark joy? Is it actually a good metric? But there's this interesting thing, which is that sustainability, and the sort of people who are often held up as like the pillars of sustainable living are minimalists, right? And that's a nice thing if that's who you are already, right? A minimalistic person who has very few things. But it's actually not that sustainable if you're somebody who has a ton of stuff. And in order to get there, you've got to throw it all away in service of like some minimalist identity, right? Getting rid of a bunch of stuff so that your home is really minimal or so that your closet is really lean simply to like try to 
earn that identity is actually not better for the planet, right? Because that stuff has to all go somewhere. And if it's not being in your home used by you, I mean, maybe it goes to get donated somewhere, right? There's that sort of open question of what happens afterwards. But like, ultimately, a lot of it will end up in a landfill. And that's not that sustainable. And I don't think any individual person is going to be answering for climate justice and fast fashion and landfills and waste <laughs> with a closet clean out. But I think my approach is that it's not an argument. I think people get really like nervous about closet cleanouts that, you know, it's like I grew up watching what not to wear where it's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make you burn. And I love Stacey London, but it's like, and I think she's also sort of like come around in a really cool way on her approach to style. But at that time, right. It was really like, I don't care that you love that dress. It's hideous and we're getting rid of it. And I don't have that. I'm not, I take the same approach as I do with my styling. Right. So it's like, it's not about whether or not I like a piece, right? If you're like, I wear these pants, even if I think they're dated and they're not cool and I wouldn't personally wear them, if you wear them, my God, you should keep them. What a gift, right? To have a pair of pants that you wear. Love it. If you tell me, right? And I actually find that the closet clean out, the easy part is there's the stuff that you wear all the time that you know you like. Great. We're not touching it. It's not even a discussion. It's not going to come up. If you say wear it, love it, keeping it. Great. Done. No question. Mm -hmm. If you have something that you're like, I never wear that. I don't like it. It makes me feel terrible. And I want to get rid of it in some capacity. What we do with it is the next step. And I can talk about that in a second, but Mm -hmm. great. That's not a question. The thing that we really focus on is the stuff in the middle, the stuff that's been in your closet that you haven't really gotten rid of because you do like it, but you're just not really sure how to wear it and you never reach for it. And that's where I focus in a closet cleanout. We sort of identify all of those middle ground pieces, the ones that don't necessarily spark joy yet, but aren't an absolute no. And people always have those in their closet, right? I do really like that. I just never wear it and I don't know why. We identify those pieces and then we try them on, right? And it's like, oh, okay, I think you probably don't like that because the length is hitting in this spot. I'm wondering what if we felt it so that it just hits a little higher, right? And then suddenly people go, oh my God. Or, oh, that top is great. I'm not sure the pants you've been wearing with it are feeling comfortable or maybe the colors are feeling a little off. Let's try, what if we try with these pants? And what if we roll up the sleeves so that it's not so long, right? Like there are just these tiny things that we'll do. And nine times out of 10, it's like cheat codes to outfit building where it's not, we don't even have to go through the whole thing, right? People suddenly go, oh my God, I see this thing that we're doing and I'm recognizing what makes me like and not like something. And this shirt, it's just this question of how I've been styling it. And if I wear it with these pants instead of those pants, I love it. And we end up actually like the goal of a closet clean out for me, we end up getting rid of a lot of stuff ultimately because people tend to have a lot of, right? Like I actually just did a closet clean out where the person had like, in the pandemic, been doing a lot of like late night eBay purchasing and, Mm. you know, being like, oh my God, I can get 10 of these shirts for $5. I'm just going to do it. Right. And it's like, we, right. They were just shirts that she was never, ever, ever wearing. And it was like, she didn't like them. She never wore them. And that was something where it was sort of a conversation like, Hey, that purchasing impulse has to shift, right? Like that's not a sustainable or healthy or like, fulfilling, right? You're not happy with that. 
you clearly that is not let's not have that be your purchasing process anymore and that was really the conversation um but like ultimately my goal is to make the things that are already in your closet work and and sometimes we also end up identifying a couple holes right oh you're missing you don't all your pants are blue let's get you a pair of green pants or right whatever and what's interesting is sometimes buying one or two pieces makes it so that 20 pieces in your closet that you don't wear become wearable because now you have the right pants or the right boots. So I really mm-hmm. think about it in terms of actually having like the sort of secret goal of making you not get rid of that much stuff mm-hmm. and instead breathing new life into what you've already got. But then ultimately people always have stuff that they get rid of. And honestly, it's a question, right? What what do you do with those? I'm actually about to be hosting a clothing swap and I I hope to have that be sort of an ongoing thing that I do hopefully in various cities across the country and not just in Los Angeles where I'm based. Cool. I think that's a really great way for people to extend the life of clothes that they're no longer wearing. And they don't need to go to some professionally hosted clothing swap or you can have one with your friends. Everybody brings two to 10 pieces of clothing and you kind of lay it all out and you get some snacks and everybody tries stuff on. It can be, right? Some of my favorite clothes have come from clothing swaps. And I think that speaks to the realities of personal style too, right? Something that isn't right for you may be amazing for me. And so that's a really great way to both have a sort of sustainable, circular, like fashion cycle. Then I think beyond that, looking to organizations that are sort of like really doing things with clothes, I think before you go to like a Goodwill or something like that is looking for like organizations that maybe have like a free rack and a community hub that has unhoused folks who maybe need some clothing or working class mothers who could use professional clothes if that's what you've got, right? And that's a place where people can actually access those clothes. Here in LA, I know a bunch of places that do that. One of them is Sway So Shop in Frogtown. They not only have a free rack, but they also then will take a lot of clothes that maybe don't have a long life of being worn in their current state. And they'll turn them, they'll, you know, cut them up into fabric pieces and turn them into really cool pants or sweaters or pillow stuffing or a couch. And they do really cool stuff or they'll mend it and upcycle. I don't know a lot of other places like Swayso Shop. I wish I did. And if I did, I would plug them and I would love to hear from other people if there are other places like that. But I think that can be a really good use of people's clothing. And then beyond that, like, sure, there's like, you know, I would say Goodwill or something like that. And then it's hard. Like, ultimately, there's no question that stuff still ends up in a landfill. But I think that's where the consciousness comes in, right? It's ultimately going to be imperfect. But if you're willing to put a little bit of effort into it, there's a good chance you can at least extend the life of like a, a good percentage of what you clear out of your closet. Do you want to start or grow a career in sustainable fashion? Find your next career opportunity on Conscious Fashion Collective's job board at consciousfashion.co forward slash jobs. You'll find everything from internships to advanced roles and everything in between in a variety of fields within vetted sustainable fashion brands and organizations. You can also sign up for the Conscious Fashion Collective job newsletter to get career opportunities delivered to your inbox every other week. And if you work for a brand or organization that's hiring, you can also submit your job opening. All of that can be found at consciousfashion.co forward slash jobs. And the links will be in the episode description. 
Yeah, totally. And yeah, everything you see here, if you're watching the YouTube version, was swapped. So I can definitely vouch for swapping. (laughs) And also, yes, there are there aren't enough places, I think, to sort of like responsibly rehome our clothes because clothing has been and continues to be overproduced. And so that's really tough. And used to sell things on Poshmark. It is getting a little bit tougher because reselling is becoming like a profession, which like all the more power to them for like reselling, you know, maybe things that they found at the thrift store. Maybe they're sewing something, washing it, putting it on a mannequin to make it more appealing and maybe more searchable for people and taking out some of the time barrier with secondhand. But yeah, I think that another, like on that note, I think another tip could be if you can find a professional reseller, if you yourself don't have the capacity to resell pieces, I get it. It can be a lot of work then maybe do some like searching on social media or just like on your search engine, seeing if there's any resellers that might buy your clothes in bulk to resell it. And of course, there's consignment stores as well. Yeah, I was gonna say like locally in Los Angeles, there's certainly a lot of consignment stores and like resell stores that you can bring your clothes to. It can be like a pretty hard time consuming process. You often have to like wait in line with your big bag of stuff. And it's sort of that scene from Mean Girls where some 18-year-old behind the counter like looks at your clothes that you spend a lot of money on and tells you that they're not cool enough and you should go (laughs) sell them somewhere else or whatever. But that can be good use. And the other thing that I like and you know I think is a actually quite a good and at least for now a relatively easy option is thread up. I don't know And I honestly, I will be honest, I have not like done a ton of research about like the deep depths of how sustainable it is, but they're a resale website, sort of like Poshmark, but they centralize it. And they'll actually, you can ship in like a big bag of your clothes and they will list it for you. I think the percentage that you make versus something like Poshmark is considerably less, right? It's more of like a true consignment split, but it's nice. And then you can either use it as like a store credit to then purchase Secondhand clothes. It's also really good for baby clothes. That's where I have a one-year-old. That's where I get all their clothes. And Or you can just cash out and have that be cash in your pocket. So I'm a fan of theirs as well. Yeah, definitely. That is a good tip. And yeah, I don't know the exact stats on like how much they're able to resell, but maybe I can do some digging and, and find that and maybe put it in the show notes. But I believe it was the real, real that said that they resell like 100% basically of what they get in. And I think that like that's authenticated, you know, and actually legit because they do get fakes. But I think that's really interesting in terms of thinking about resellability. Like also when we are buying pieces, whether it's secondhand or firsthand, like more you sort of like look in the secondhand market, you can see what has resale value. And I'm not saying we all have to buy only designer stuff because obviously that's not accessible to everyone. But I do think it is it is interesting to think about like what brands and styles and designers hold more value. I was actually at the Real Real yesterday with a client who I, I use the Real Real all the time. You know, I think there's always questions of 
how legit the stats that a company self-reports are. But I do know that they True. sell a lot of their stuff only because there's so much stuff I've favorited and I feel like it's really weird. And then like the next day it's gone. So I would they sell a lot <laughs> of it. But there's always the question of like, okay, but how sustainable is their shipping and their packaging and blah, blah, blah. And is it really... And the truth is, I think we have to also remember, right? Like we're not buying or selling ourselves out of a crisis. That is one piece of this sort of like, I'm going back to a pie analogy. It's a different pie analogy, but like, that's just like one piece of the pie here is like, okay, when it comes to individual choices, can we make pretty thoughtful ones as much as possible? But ultimately, right? Like if we're just, that's just within the system that exists. So really... I think a lot of the meaningful change does come from looking to change those systems in the first place through collective organizing, through community alternatives, like, I mean, honestly, like massive clothing swaps, right? Sort of stepping away from these systems of of purchasing and selling, but actually sort of going, okay, what does it look like to not participate in that? And then also things like right, standing with labor organizations and labor unions and the workers who actually to sewing, right? The garment workers, the retail workers who sell us our clothes. And what does it look like to advocate for legislation or system changes to how fashion is sold and how these corporations are regulated in the first place? Because if what we sort of depend on is like for Shein or Amazon to have the, the, right, the CEOs of these companies to have the moral realization that they need to do the right thing, it's never going to happen, right? It's not going to be from like consumer pressure. It's not going to be from a couple people boycotting it and, and you know, whatever, it's really going to have to come from how heavily regulated are these companies, right? What are the massive regulations in place that actually enforce and make sure that the priorities that we have, right? How are humans treated? how is the planet treated, that those priorities are being upheld. And right now we live in a country and a system where those aren't the priorities, right? The priorities are profit. Um, and so that's where the work, right? Everything else, the secondhand selling, whatever is like absolutely worthwhile, right? I don't think it's an either or it's a yes and like you got to do mm-hmm. both as much as possible, but also knowing that we're all imperfect and we've all got, you know, our impulse buys and our fast fashion, this like, that's okay. And it has to be because ultimately, even the world's most sustainable individual, congratulations to you and to whoever that is, right? But ultimately, that's not changing systems, collective organizing, standing grassroots organizing from the ground up to change the way that society prioritizes people and the planet. That's where the change happens. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up. I will link to an article on fashion legislation that our contributing writer Stella wrote. Stella will be updating it for 2023. So it should be an updated version by the time this episode goes live. So you can like stay updated on that. And we'll also add links for how people can maybe get involved. In some cases, there's opportunities. If you own a business, you can endorse certain legislation like the Fabric Act is one in the US that is looking for people to endorse. And there's like petitions that you can sign. There's actions like you can, whether something that's currently in the Senate in the US or in some other sort of system in the EU, I'm not familiar with their like political structure, but based on sort of where that legislation is in the political system, you can email the proper like representative 
And that information is available thanks to some of these yeah, amazing grassroots advocacy organizations. So we'll definitely make sure that article is linked for you all to look more into that. Sophie, this was a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot, got a lot of like just different perspectives and thoughts flowing in my head. And I just really <laughs> appreciated everything that you shared today. I do have one final question for you that I ask every guest that comes onto the show, which is what would a better future for fashion look like to you? You know, it's actually really funny. I think my answer to that question is really inspired by a different one of your episodes that I actually do think was a Stella episode, but I could be wrong, which was the sort of like alternative business models to, yeah. I think that's the episode title. I don't want yes, to yeah, it. seven alternative fashion business models. Yeah. But I think what I was really struck by there is the optimism of it and that it's not anti-fashion and it's not anti-expression. I think a better future for fashion is one where the main focus is self-expression of both like the creators and the wearers, right? Whether that's, you know, a sort of cultural expression, a personal expression, whatever that is, right? That creativity is the point, but that it only can come if there's no harm caused or very, very right. That, that at the same time, right, that creative expression is not more important than the workers' rights or the state of the planet, right? That those things have to be sort of equally prioritized and that profit is not a priority because that's really what we see, right? Profit is not a friend of creativity. It's not a friend of self-expression. It's not a friend of us feeling better about ourselves. It's not a friend of workers and it's not a friend of the planet, right? And right now, the only fashion model that we really, like the mainstream sort of fashion business model is one of profits over everything. You'll have investors who need to make money. You have CEOs who need to, right? Everybody wants, and it's it's not about not making money, right? It's not about not making a living, not being compensated for your labor. It's not about that, right? It's not, oh, well, we should all do it for free. It's that the point is expression, connectivity, community, beauty, culture, and sustainability. And humans, right? The human wellness, not how much money you can extract by extracting resources from our planet and from human beings, which is what it currently is. And so I think a better future for fashion is one where the priorities are flipped, right? That creativity and expression is not an afterthought or a byproduct of people scrambling to get profits, but it's actually the point. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Subscribe or follow the Conscious Style Podcast for more episodes like this one. It would also mean so much if you could take a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify. This helps our content on conscious fashion reach more people. Have some thoughts after listening to this episode? Let's continue the conversation over on Instagram. You can DM at Conscious Style. For more slow fashion resources, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Conscious Edit at ConsciousLifeInStyle.com forward slash edit. 
Subscribers also get access to a 12-page roundup of sustainable fashion resources upon signing up. Again, the link is ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com forward slash edit. The link is also below in the episode description. Thanks again for listening today. There will be another episode next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can check out our backlog of the 70 plus episodes we've already published. Bye for now and talk to you again soon.